0: Hi and welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of young adults living in Montreal who meet together to talk about what it means to be a Christian. The podcast today is a sermon from our series on the basic beliefs of Christianity. Hope you enjoy. Enjoy. So we're launching the series tonight that's looking at the fundamentals of Christianity. What, are, what is the foundation, what are the bare bones of the faith that we have? And don't be discouraged if you have not, um, if you have done something like this before or if you feel like you've been a Christian for a long time and that, that side of it's good, you know, you've got the foundations covered well, uh, I'd like to encourage you to, to at least be open because I'm thinking that you'll be surprised by how much you can learn. We're going to be going through, the, there's going to be a sermon companion, which is this book that we're going to be going through. John starts Basic Christianity and it's answering the question, what is Christianity, basically? So um, it's a great book and I encourage you to, to do it. But the question of why we should be doing this series at all, and what is the purpose of it, is going to be kind of the launch pad of my sermon tonight. Why should we do this? Why should we um, be interested in Christianity at all? And the reasons for this will be somewhat similar, whether you are a Christian or not, whether you are a new Christian or a seasoned one, uh, the reasons for doing a series like this are, I think, fairly similar. So I'm so glad you asked. The first reason that we should do this is because it's important always to examine our beliefs. Whoever we are, whatever beliefs we have, it's always important to examine your beliefs, to see if what you hold on to is true, is coherent, and is consistent, because many people don't have coherent and consistent beliefs. Many people uh, quite uh, naturally pick up a jumble of beliefs throughout life that are assumed, uh, that they don't question at all, Uh, and yet at the end of the day, if you're probed or pressed, you wouldn't be able to defend them or you wouldn't be able to find a cohesive way of fitting them all together. Now this is true for those who grew up in all kinds of different backgrounds, those who grew up in the church, those who grew up in a different faith, those who grew up without any kind of faith whatsoever and have just sort of accumulated rules for life from different mentors they've had. All people will have an accumulation of beliefs that ought to be tested, ought to be examined to make sure that they are things that we should hold on to. Now, the problem with beliefs is they can react somewhat in our life, like have somewhat of a, what's considered a placebo effect. placebo effect is when you uh, take a particular medication or you go on, undergo a certain treatment that doesn't itself actually do anything biologically to you to, to cure whatever you're going through, but simply the belief that it will helps you and you overcome some of the symptoms that you have. Just by the sheer fact that you have positive thinking or the fact that you uh, believe that it's working, it works. The placebo effect is something that has been deeply studied by uh, medical professionals to see exactly how uh, it can be utilized and, and how it works. But at the end of the day, there's a crucial flaw in it, is that quite often the placebo effect is able to cure us of some ailments that we have in terms of symptoms. They can take away some of the symptoms, but for most problems, it doesn't cure the underlying problem. And so you're left in a predicament where now all of a sudden you feel like you're getting better, but you're actually not. And sooner or later, there's going to be a confrontation with the fact that you're not better, that the underlying problem is still there. And so that's an issue that we can have with beliefs. We're in a culture today where it's very much a kind of believe what you want to believe thing. You know, your truth and my truth don't have to match up, where you can just kind of, whatever makes you feel good, whatever works for you, just do that. But we can see how very quickly that can become somewhat of a placebo effect. Yeah, certain beliefs will make you feel good, certain beliefs will take away some of the symptoms of meaninglessness, some of the symptoms of uh lack of security in this world, but If they're not actually, concretely dealing with the underlying problems in your life, the underlying problems in yourself, then it's simply a placebo. It's not something that is going to be able to cure you at all. It's not something that's going to help you in the long run. And so if we are dealing with a universe and a reality in which there is a concrete spiritual reality, a definite objective spiritual reality, and I believe there's every reason to think that that is the case then we need to make sure that what we believe is coherent, that it is uh, consistent with that spiritual reality. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. Long story short, it matters what you believe. It really, really matters. And now when you understand that and you begin to look at Christianity, Christianity doesn't contain what's considered, um, I think it's uh, Timothy Keller says, there's no of courseness about Christianity. It doesn't naturally flow from a a kind of a a worldview that we're used to holding on to. It's it's based on principles that are very contrary to the predominant way that we live in this world. It's based on grace. It's based not on a principle but on a person. There are some very fundamental differences here that mean that our belief, we will naturally believe the opposite of Christianity in, in a lot of cases. When we think about what is true, when we, when we kind of are left to our own devices to, to drum up what we think is really going on in this world, or the nature of God, or the nature of how to relate to Him, we'll come up with something very contrary to Christianity. And that can happen quite subversively in our life too, where even though we might uh, confess to have a certain belief, When you actually drill down into the nuts and bolts of our lives, you'll see that no, we're not living based upon that principle, we're living based upon another principle. And so our foundation is not there. We may have the facade of a foundation, but it's actually not there. And So when we dig down deep and we discover what's truly there, we can be shocked to find out that no, we're not on the ground that we thought we are. And so Christianity is something that is very different, and it's different because it's grounded on Christ. It's on a person. It's on a, uh, uh, he is our fact, with a capital F. He is the fact that we have as Christians or within our, within our belief structure from which all the rest of it flow. And the good news is that Jesus has this inherent magnetism to him. And that's almost undeniable. Dep- like throughout all of culture, you can see that a lot of people are drawn to Jesus in one way or another. Whether or not they profess Him as Lord and Savior isn't really on the table at this point. It's just for the very fact that He is one of the extremely few people that has ever existed in the world that um, people didn't, when they met Him, they didn't ask, who are you? They asked and said, what are you? We see that in the Gospels. People would encounter Jesus and be like, what is he? What are you? Because they realized there was something that set him apart, something that was different about him. And that distinctiveness, that, that, that character that he had that is that's really unmatched, is the foundation of our belief. The very fact of his existence and the characteristic that he held and the identity of him is the foundation of our belief and so this puts us on different soil. This puts us in a different category. Now when we begin to explore Christianity from this lens, it's a good thing because we're taking it as it ought to be rather than as it often is presented. Sadly, the case is, though many people are attracted to Jesus, they're repelled by the church. And that's because they have somewhat of a fair assessment of the ways that the church, by and large, has strayed from Jesus. But we cannot allow Jesus to just be whoever you want him to be, either. He may have this magnetism to him. He may draw people into him, but he also confronts us. He confronts each and every one of us, and He must be met on His own terms rather than whatever we determine Him to be. It's very common to find out there people who pick and choose parts of Jesus they like while ignoring other parts of Him, but He doesn't give us the freedom to do that. The reason that we can say as Christians that our fact is Jesus, the thing that we rely on, the thing that if not for Him, we are totally lost. The reason for that is because he places himself there. By his own words, by his own estimation, he ought to be the center of our belief, the center of the way that we see ourselves and see our life in light of God. John 14.6, one of the most famous passages that we know of in the New Testament says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus placing himself at the center of Revelation, saying, if you want to know who God is, look at me. And we need to come to terms with that, and we need to determine whether or not that is something that is, can be credible. It's something that we should take him seriously in, but when we do that, what you should be able to recognize then, and this is the reason why it's so important that we, we question our beliefs and make sure they're coherent and whole, is because if that's true, that truly does change everything. It changes everything for anybody who accepts it. It would be a radically transforming truth to accept that Jesus Christ is who He claims to be. Uh, I love this illustration. Uh, It came to me in a book, I forget which book it was, but uh, the author was saying, imagine this hypothetical, conversation that took, could, probably did take place between two sort of first-century people. There's a, a, na- a guy and his neighbor, and the guy is a Christian, the neighbor is, is, a, is a pagan. And so the pagan neighbor comes up and says to him, hey, like, I heard you become one of those Christians or something, uh, w- tell me about that, like, where's your temple? And the Christian neighbor would say, oh, actually, we don't we don't have a temple because Christ in some way has has come into us and now we are the temple. And then the pagans like, What? But hold on. If you don't have a temple, then then where do your priests do their sacrifices? And the Christian would say, Well actually, we don't have any priests because Christ is the only priest that we need. He's the only mediator between us and God, and so there's no more need for any other priests. And then the pagan's really confused now and says, but okay, if you don't have any priests, then who does your sacrifices? And the Christian will say, well actually, we don't have any sacrifices, because Jesus is our sacrifice, and he's he's enough. There's no need for any other sacrifices because of what he's done. And I think you can get the point of the analogy that for a 1st century this would be so profoundly weird because of course you need a temple, of course you need priests, of course you need temple, uh, of temple sacrifices. H- how else does any of this work? And yet that is the fundamental change that took place in concrete history. We saw people who for every reason they had every reason to just continue on and somehow syncretize their newfound faith with an, this the old way of doing things. Go back to the old temple, go back to the old priests, go back to the old sacrifices. But they didn't. They understood how radically transformative it was to hold on to Christ as the center of this belief. And so they changed. They changed in unthinkable ways for the time. He is our fact. And there's a, I don't, I think it might have been Einstein, but I don't remember. There was uh, an intellectual who once said, nothing ruins a beautiful theory like an ugly fact. Now, I'm not calling Jesus ugly, don't get me wrong here. But what I mean is like, we all create worldviews. We all create systems of belief. We all create things that just kind of work in one way or another. And Jesus comes in and ruins it all he comes in as the the ugly fact that ruins our beautiful little lives. John Stott refers to Jesus as the heaven-sent rescuer. Now that implies what? That we need rescue. That without him we're lost, without him we aren't going to make it. And that's a confronting truth. And so we ought to look at the foundation of our beliefs consistently, or so constantly so that we can see am i really living in line with the fact or am i slipping as would naturally happen back into old ways of thinking back into an unexamined way of living because it can happen so easily and it's so easy to get it wrong and it's so important to get it right and as we do this as we examine our basis once again what we should see happening is that we As our understanding deepens, our holiness will deepen as well. As we grow in understanding, we will grow in holiness. Because when we we begin to see Him and take Him for as He truly is, it sheds us of bad motives for life. Even bad motives for following Him at all. When I first became a Christian, I'll admit I did so for very bad motives. I became a Christian because I wanted community and because I didn't like who I was. I wanted to be better. I wanted to be a different person. And at the beginning, it gave me those things. It gave me a community of, of you know, loving, joyful people that I really appreciated. And it also gave me a new way of living that was wholesome and different and something that I craved. But after a while, I kind of didn't have the same shine to it anymore. Things weren't going the way I wanted them to go. And I started to question, is this really the way to go? And I'm so grateful that at that time in my life, as I begin to, began to doubt uh, my initial motives, because my, my motives were not right and also not being satisfied, but because they weren't right, they weren't being satisfied, I began to actually understand that Jesus is just true. Who he is, it's, it's an objective fact. It's true. And so I was confronted with the fact that, why should I believe in Jesus at all? Well, it shouldn't be for these very selfish motives. It should be because he's true. And if he is true, then there's no reason to stop. There's no reason to stop following him. And we need to do that too. Look at why you're following Jesus and what you expect from him. Make sure you're following him because it's the truth. And if it is the truth, then that maybe changes things for you, deepens things for you, intensifies things for you, as it rightly should. The second reason that we should embark on a journey like this is because an examination of Christianity will reveal that it's not only intellectually credible, but it's also existentially satisfying. Meaning that if you follow Christianity, you should expect your life to change. Because that's just the nature of the truth as it will unfold. If you apply it rightly in your life, it's far more than just information. It's a change of heart. It's a change of life. Maybe a good uh, icebreaker question in your small groups could be, what's a a fact or a piece of information that you learned that changed your life? And there's all sorts of ones that have changed my life, but I remember once uh, when I was um, uh, practicing to run a marathon, and so I was running further than I'd ever run before. uh, And up to that point, my distances had always been around like 18 to 20 kilometers was like the max that I would run at. And when I would run runs like that, I wouldn't take any water with me and I wouldn't take any kind of energy supplements with me because I didn't need them. And I thought that I was, you know, a tough man. I could just keep running longer distances under the same kind of methodology. And I found, like, I was dying out there. Like, I couldn't do it. And it took me an an embarrassingly long amount of time to just admit my weakness and say, you know what I should do? I should take a water bottle with me. And I should also take some energy gels with me so I can like eat them when they recommend that you do. My goodness. I went from like I I got so much faster. And I could I also got to the end of these sort of like 30 kilometer runs, not feeling like I was about to die as well. It radically transformed my life. Just the idea of taking these, taking seriously what they're telling me to do transformed my life. And it really did take me an embarrassingly long amount of time to do that but it changed the way that I ran, it changed the way that I exercised, and for the better. This is more than just information, this was transformation. And this is what we're dealing with with Christianity as well. We're dealing with information that will change our lives. And so it's important to embark on a journey like this, because even if you're unsure of it, this is something that's being offered to you as a gift. Now you may not be sure of the existence of God, you, may not be, you might be weary of the gift itself, but you ought to look. Nobody would receive a gift and just not open it. You ought to just look, see what it is, see if you think it's worth exploring or not. Because we're not simply dealing with information, we're dealing with something that, and by Jesus' own words, is ought, ought to change our lives. John chapter 8. Verse 31 and 32, another really famous teaching of Jesus, he says this, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciple. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What Jesus is offering here is, he's offering to meet one of the most universal longings between all of us, the longing to be free. We all crave freedom. We all crave freedom alongside being fully known and fully loved, having a sense of security in this world. These are things that every human being on the planet craves and chases after. And Jesus comes and He offers them all to us. He offers us freedom. He offers us to be fully known and fully loved. He offers us security. This is. This is why an examination of Christianity, should you, should you should want it not only to understand the intellectual credibility, but also to see the existential satisfaction of it, to know that we can live more fulfilled lives by it, to understand that it's not just about information, but when rightly applied, it's transformation. You know, There's a big difference between Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is my Savior. And that is the crucial distinction that makes all the difference. My Saviour, the gift of Christ appropriated to me. True Christianity will be a process of humility, humbling ourselves before Him, letting go of the pride of the different things we have held on to to call ourselves good, trusting instead in Him, humility, trust, and then loyalty and commitment to Him, to not only believe but to see it through, to walk in faith, to walk in obedience in confident trust of Him. These things will have a deep and lasting impact on your life. So as we go about this time, know this, we're not simply embarking on a journey in which we're gonna examine the facts, but your life is gonna be examined in relationship to those facts. In light of those facts, how ought we live? And that is an essential part of an examination of any Christianity, is that it holds a mirror up to us and says, what do you think about you right now and we ought to know that but also be very curious about what that will bring the last reason that we should embark on a journey like this is because it prepares us to be good witnesses first peter chapter 3 verse 15 i'm pulling out all the famous ones this week first peter chapter 3:15 says this but in your hearts revere Christ as lord Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give a what? A reason for the hope that we have. What is your reason? I was challenged by this many years ago, and I've continually challenged, I see you 20 from time to time as well as other Christians, can you explain the gospel in under two minutes? And the analogy I've always used is this. Let's say you're walking uh, down the street with a friend. Same, you know, It's Sherbrooke out here, you're walking with a friend, and you cross the street without looking, as all pedestrians in Montreal do. You just cross the street, and coming out of nowhere, this bus comes around the corner, and you miss it by inches, but your friend tragically is hit by this bus. You run over to your friend, and you look down, and, and you can see it's bad and your friend knows it's bad, and your friend looks up at you and says, look, I don't think I have much time left. I know you're a Christian. Tell me. What does it mean? Tell me what you believe. You've got two minutes. What do you say? What do you say? Now sometimes, I don't know how many times we'll be in exactly that situation, but you may be in situations where you won't have all the time in the world, all the relational, clout in the world to be able to engage in long discussions with people. Sometimes all you'll have is two minutes. And if that's the case, what do you say? But even more than that, what do you say if you have two hours? What if you say if you have two years? What is the reason that we have for the hope that we have? To know the hope itself is part of the reason we go on this. What is the hope that we have and then what is the reasons for the hope that we have to, John Stott says, "But there is evidence for the, the deity of Jesus, good, strong, historical, cumulative evidence, evidence to which an honest person can subscribe without committing intellectual suicide. Do you know that? Are you able to articulate that? Or is it something that you hold on to, just kind of, yeah, I believe it. Don't really know why but I believe it. It goes further than just our ability to be able to communicate this this faith to another person. It also strengthens our ability to be able to communicate it to ourselves. There are times, my friends, that we need to preach to ourselves rather than listen to ourselves. There are times when you need to know that you have a hope. Right now, today, do you know that you have a hope? Or are you driven by fear? Are you driven by insecurities? When they rise up inside us, how do you meet the challenge of those fears and those doubts? When doubts come up in your life, do you know that you have strong reason to doubt your doubt? Strong reason to question the very things that you're using to discredit Christianity? There are good reasons to hold on to what we believe. You don't need to be dominated by your fears. You don't need to be dominated by your doubts. We have good, solid reasons for not being that way. For the, we are given the freedom, the ability to preach to ourselves when these doubts and these insecurities and these fears rise up inside us. We need to bolster our understanding of our faith so that we can meet the challenges of even our own hearts and also the hearts of those around us. Uh, This is the last analogy before I close up, but there was a few years ago now, oh man, quite a few years ago now, uh, when I was riding on a bus. And on the bus, I looked down and I was standing and this person was sitting and they were reading a book that I had read. And it was, um, they were sort of at a point just before halfway in this book. And I know at the halfway-ish point in this book, something huge happens. Something that just changes everything about the book and this this massive plot twist. People die, it's crazy. And I could see he wasn't there yet. And I, and I asked the guy like, hey, what do you think of the book? And he's like, oh man, it's so great. I'm loving this, I'm loving that. Oh man, it's such an exciting book. And as he's explained to me, I'm thinking like, oh man you have no idea what's about to happen <laughs> like your world is about to come crashing down all around you and you don't have a clue and i don't want to say anything to him but oh inside i was thinking oh you're about to be wrecked but the point is we actually know the end of the story as christians we know we we have the privileged perspective of being able to see What's the fact behind all the other facts in this world? What, Where are we going? This changes things for us. This, this is enough to form a foundation from which we live a totally different kind of lifestyle, a totally different kind of perspective. It affords us one in which we can look at the problems of this world, the problem of our heart, and have a good, satisfying, coherent answer for what's going on for have a reason to have hope in this world and to be transformed by these things. This is why it's good to examine once again our foundation, because it gives us more reason to have hope. It gives us, it gives us a greater platform from which we can be transformed. And it gives us the opportunity to really examine, am I living in line with the truth or am I following something else in this world? So we're going to embark together on this journey of discovery, one in which the very first thing we're going to discover that as we go seeking after God, we're going to discover that he has been seeking after us all along. Why don't we pray together? God, we thank you for your amazing, amazing character. We pray, Lord, for everyone who is here tonight, everyone who is listening as well. We ask God that you might begin a work tonight in their hearts that will surprise them and change them and confront them in the ways that you desire and will be fitting as we examine the amazing truth of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can find us on the website peoplesmontreal.org. There you'll find information about where and when we meet, as well as a catalogue of past sermons and other resources. Hope to see you soon.